Now we're going to read from God's Word. We're in the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 1 through 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondswoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight, because of the lad or because of your bondwoman, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot, for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. In our text today, we have two wives and we're talking about these two wives that have the same husband. We're talking about Abraham's two wives. One wife, Sarah, she's got a son, Isaac, and the other wife, Hagar, she has a son, Ishmael. 
And the Old Testament here, just right up front, portrays polygamy. But the Old Testament always portrays polygamy in a negative light. Polygamy brings division. Polygamy brings hurt in the way that it's depicted in the Bible. And from the beginning, God's intended model for marriage, it was always one man, one wife. But in our text today, we, we have polygamy, these two wives. We also, though, have two sons. One son is the heir. The other son is essentially a slave. Both of them, though, are sons from the same father. Both are sons of Abraham. But one of the sons, and only one, will be the favored and the established and the heir. The other son will be rejected. The other son will be cast out. And so today, we're looking at trusting God in conflict and trusting God in, in rejection. We, we see that with these two sons, God keeps his promises both to the heir and to the slave. God keeps his promises both to the heir and to the slave. And so we can trust God. We can trust God because he keeps his promises both to the heir and to the slave. So I, I'm going to take three questions to frame our texts this morning. The first question is this, has God blessed you? Has God blessed you? The second question, has someone wronged you or rejected you? Has God blessed you? Has someone wronged you or rejected you? And then the third question, have you wronged someone? So this first question, has God blessed you? This is verses one through seven. And, and over these months, as we've gone through Genesis, what we see is that God promised to Abraham blessing. God promised to bless Abraham. And, and God didn't just make a small promise. God made a titanic promise, a commitment to Abraham, the covenant. And this commitment to Abraham, to be blunt, this promise, this commitment that he made to Abraham, to be blunt, is actually Christianity in seed form. And so through the son of Abraham, the son of the promise, the son of the covenant, God has promised to do good to all of the nations of the earth. And, and ultimately, the, the reason why we can say that this is Christianity in seed form, ultimately, Jesus Christ is the real true son of Abraham. Jesus Christ is the descendant son of Abraham who will be the good of all the nations of the earth. He's the descendant son of Abraham who will be the savior of all the nations of the earth. And so Abraham not only is, is it seed Christianity because of the son, the ultimate son, Jesus, it's also Christianity in seed form because of the way that Abraham receives this commitment from God, receives the covenant. Abraham receives this blessing, this covenant from God solely by grace through faith. Abraham just believes this. He doesn't do anything to barter. He doesn't bring anything to the table. Abraham just believes the promise of God and, and God counts Abraham's faith as righteousness. And in Christianity, that's, that's what we see at the center. We receive the promise of God's salvation, God's commitment when we believe. We don't barter for it. We bring nothing. There's no exchange. It's all a gift. So that trust in Christ, God counts as rightness with him. And so 
We come back to our text here, though. In, in the days of Abraham, this son on, on which this whole covenant, this whole commitment, it all hinges on this son. In the days of Abraham, when that was made, that promise from God was made, a son was impossible. The promise came to him when Abraham was 75 years old. He was too old. And then 85, then 99 years old. And he never had a son through Sarah. But, but what we have here finally, after a century, this century old man, he keeps on trusting what God has promised. He keeps trusting God's commitment. And finally, his son, Isaac, comes. And so at this, this small scale, one human being, one married couple, at this small scale human level, God blesses Abraham and Sarah with a son, finally. And so we're asking this question for, of ourselves this morning. Has God blessed you? Has God blessed you? God blessed Sarah and Abraham. And, and there are several things to notice in this. Notice first that God keeps his promise. God made a promise and God kept it to Sarah and to Abraham. Verse one, the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. That was the promise. God did it. And then verse two, Sarah conceived and had a son at the set time of which God had spoken. So the, the text emphasizes here right up front that this blessing of this son, it was more than just a son. It's the fulfillment of a promise from God. They saw God keep his promise to them as God had spoken. And, and the promise was, you'll remember, it was impossible, humanly speaking. Abraham was in his old age. Verse 5, he was 100. And Sarah clearly was beyond the age of bearing children. She was 90. The promise was impossible. And the promise, that means also it, it tried their patience with God, tested their patience. They had to wait decades, double digits, before God finally moved. Now, are you... Believer, are you waiting on an impossible promise from God? For instance, God promises, God promises to you, believer, to work all things for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But you have been putting in the work and your family is still falling apart. When will God work? this promised good. When? Or, or God promises. He promises not to withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. He promises that. And so you as a believer, you've committed to only marry another believer, just as God commanded. But it has been a long time. Maybe it's even been months, years without even you having a date. And so you're wondering when, when will God work this good, this good that he's promised not to withhold. Or, or God promises, First Samuel 2, he promises, I will honor those who honor me. That's a promise from him. And so you've tried to do that. You, you've done it perhaps by setting aside your work on the Lord's Day. You've, you've done it by setting aside your studies on the Lord's Day. But now you find you're getting behind. You're getting behind. Or, or maybe you're finding that your business numbers are down, and that means your income is down and it feels impossible that it could be good to give up an entire workday, will God honor those who honor him? And you're wondering, when is this promise going to work out for me? 
But what we see here and what we're called to keep waiting to see in our own lives is that God keeps his promise. God will keep his promise. And for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah, they trusted God, not perfectly, but they did trust him. And the longer that he delayed, the more impossible it seemed. But his delay, we also see here finally, his delay makes the fulfillment even sweeter than it would have been. For instance, uh, years ago, we, we got a sapling of a pear tree at our house. We planted it and we were told, given the size of this sapling, you're gonna have to wait a few years before you will ever see a single pear that you could possibly eat. So two, three years, and, and we understand that. So we would go through a whole spring, a summer, a fall, a winter, and then again, all those seasons and, and nothing. But finally, it came close to the time after waiting a few years where there was to be fruit. And that delay, even though the, 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 the pears, it was just a few of them, and they weren't incredible. They weren't super. It was still very early in the life of that tree. But that delay, that delay made, it sweetened the fruit. And so notice this well, as well here. Not, not only does, 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 um, do we have to, to, to look for and expect the fulfillment of an impossible promise from God, we also see that as he fulfills this promise, our trust in him is vindicated and our trust leads to laughter. This is a chapter that's filled with laughter. The name of the son, Isaac, means laughter. Sarah laughs. So you trust God, you're trusting God for something and you've been waiting a long time and you've been waiting. And then when the day finally comes that you see God, he kept his word, he kept you safe. He, he did bless you. It's a day of joy and so much joy that you could even laugh. Verse six, Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. And Sarah sees the hand of God at work in her life. And, and so what she sees is, it's not just that at 90 years old, I conceived. It's not just that I got pregnant. Sarah says, God gave us this son. And, and so she recognized God was at work. Do you recognize the work of God in your life? When God works, do you recognize that God was at work? Do you recognize that every good thing that has ever happened to you. It came from God. Do you recognize that? It wasn't good luck. It wasn't your hard work. It wasn't your talents and the hours of effort that you put in. It wasn't your extensive network of connections. God, it says in James 1, God is the giver of every good gift that comes down from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. And when you recognize that, as you're living life and you're able to identify that, that small good thing, that large good thing, thank you, God. And, and so when you recognize it, it can make you glad. It has a way of bringing, injecting joy into your otherwise mundane life. And, and Sarah recognizes that and she laughs. And, and so if, you're, if you enter into that, that same kind of response that Sarah has, it means, it means you post about it. It means you tell other people about God's goodness to you. Is, was there anything that happened this week that was good? That was the goodness of God to you. Sarah says, everyone who hears will laugh with me. And so this is, this is the call for us. Make your, make your private joy before God into public joy. 
Tell people. Tell people God has done great things. That's what it means when it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. It, it means this. It means your life is like a movie. And, and there are credits that always come in a movie. It means write the credits. Write the credits for the movie. And roll the credits for the movie, not at the end, but in the middle of the movie. Roll the credits in the middle today and, and give God the credit. So trust leads to laughter, but notice this too. Trust also leads to obedience. Trust leads to obedience here. When the Lord keeps his promise to Abraham and Sarah, they obey the Lord. They obey. Verse 3, Abraham names the child Isaac. It says, just as God commanded. That was back in Genesis 17. Abraham obeyed in naming his son. And then verse 4, another example of obedience. Abraham circumcised his infant son. It says, just as God had commanded him in Genesis 17. Another noted act of obedience when God fulfills his promise. So when you trust God and God blesses you, the appropriate response is obedience as well. So the Christian has this mindset. If, if you're a Christian and, and, and you're, you're thinking the way we want to be thinking, the Christian has this mindset. Jesus, you are all of my life. And, and all of my life, you have only treated me well. And so, of, of course, I submit to you. Of course, I will obey you. Of course, Jesus, when you say, if you love me, keep my commandments, I do love you. And of course, I will. I want to keep your commandments. Now, the order of that is very, very important to understand. The order is, is essential. It's not, I obey God so that God will bless me. This is the right order. God blessed me, so I want to obey him. Now, other religions will tell you, do enough good things. Enter enough into the disciplines in order to get good from God. But Christianity proclaims only Jesus has done good, and he gave it to me. He gave it to us. It's grace. Now you go and do good. It's all about loyalty, not bartering. And so let me give you an illustration. There, maybe you're familiar with the story of, uh, uh, from the Vietnam War, this Air Force colonel named Fred Cherry. He was a black officer and a black pilot during the Vietnam War. And Fred Cherry, Colonel Cherry, graduated from Booker T. Washington in Norfolk. But in Vietnam, his plane was hit, it crashed, and in that crash, his shoulder, his ankle, and his wrist, they were ruined. And he was placed in a Vietnamese prison camp for seven years where he did not receive sufficient medical care for his injuries. And for some of that time, Fred was imprisoned and put in a prison cell with another man, a white Navy pilot, Lieutenant Junior Grade Porter Halliburton. And at that time, Porter, was a Southerner, and he was also a racist. And the Vietnamese thought that racism is going to make life torture and hell for these two men. They had to share the same prison cell. And Porter was tasked with ministering to the bodily washing, the tending of the open wounds of Fred. What happened? Instead of enmity, a deep friendship and a deep love formed between these two men. 
And at every level, physically, emotionally, socially, they became friends. They became loyal friends to one another. And eventually, after years of captivity, they were set free. Do you think that years later, after going through that together and with that kind of loyalty and love between them, do you think that either Fred or Porter, after all that, do you think that either of them would even hesitate to do whatever the other person asked? Of course not. Love and loyalty mean whatever you ask, I will gladly do it. And so the question is for, for you, believer, has God blessed you? Well, recognize his blessing, respond to it with rejoicing, and respond to it with, with a loyal obedience to his blessing. Now let's move to our, our second question. We asked, has God blessed you? The second question is, has someone wronged you? Has someone rejected you? Verses 8 through 14, uh, we're looking at that. And, and what we see here is Sarah's rejoicing, Sarah's mirth, it turns into malice. Sarah's son, Isaac, he is the son of promise. And, and he comes to the, the age where he's finally done with nursing. He's weaned. And maybe he's two years old. Maybe he's three years old. And as was the custom, the household celebrates. This is, a, this is a little milestone that's worth celebrating. But at that party, and you know, so many things can go right or go wrong at these little family gatherings. At this family gathering, Hagar's son, Ishmael, he does something that offends Sarah. Verse 9. Now, the language here is uncertain, and it's probably deliberate. It says, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, scoffing. The word scoffing, it's, it's just not clear exactly what, what happened. But we know this. Ishmael, the son of Hagar, Ishmael is a teenager at this point. Ishmael is the older brother. He's the older stepbrother to this little toddler, Isaac, who's just been weaned. And Ishmael, at this party for Isaac, he says something or he does something that's it's at least disrespectful. Maybe he's just teasing little Isaac for, for being clumsy. Maybe little Isaac has a, a potty training accident. Maybe, maybe Ishmael is, maybe he's somewhat bullying. We don't know. Galatians 4 actually uses a stronger word. It says Ishmael persecuted Isaac, whatever that means. But whatever occurred between a teen stepbrother and his toddler stepbrother, Sarah is absolutely livid about it. Verse 10, Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. So Sarah says, get this woman, get this slave woman and her son out of our house. So Hagar's canceled. Ishmael's canceled. They are cast out. And that demand is over the line. It, it, it says this demand displeases Abraham. It's out of line. It, it's not in proportion. Whatever this teen did, it did not. It did not merit throwing them out, kicking them out. And on top of that, that teen, Ishmael, he's Abraham's son. He's Abraham's biological son. And so in this little 
disaster of a family gathering, everybody gets put to the test. Everyone is being tested here. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, they're all being tested. Look at how Sarah is put to the test. This is the last recorded incident about this matriarch of the faith. This is the last recorded incident in Sarah's life in the Bible. And, and through her lifetime, she's gone from being a woman of faith who trusted God, who wrestled with God, who received God's blessing, who rejoiced in God. And now we see this, this vindictive jealousy. She says, this slave woman's son will not inherit with my son. Now, here's a small lesson, but it's significant for all of us. God's great goodness to you, whatever great goodness you've received from God, it will not prevent you from great sin. God's great goodness to you doesn't prevent you from committing great sin. Sarah has just received this miracle, the miracle baby, and then she cannot tolerate the presence of this family member. God blesses Sarah. Sarah rejoices in the Lord, but then she's harsh. Once again, this is the second time she's harsh, harsh with Hagar. And do you see how, do you see how easy it shouldn't be this way, but do you see how easy it is to go from, from receiving grace to refusing to give grace, to withholding grace from the other person? Do you see how easily we can move from rejoicing to God to cursing our sister and brother? Sarah moves from mirth to malice. And, and you've, got to, you've got to wonder if underneath it, at least a little bit, underneath Sarah's resentment towards Hagar, maybe underneath it, there's some recognition of her own blame for this whole mess because it was Sarah's suggestion and pressure that caused Abraham to take Sarah, Hagar as a wife, to produce a son, to produce Ishmael, this is the fruit of Sarah's demands, and it would be hard to face that and to live with that. An another lesson, when, when we are guilty, when we are guilty, it's easy to magnify the guilt of others. It's a, it's a form of blame shifting. When, when you're in a place of blessing, when you're in a place of privilege, like Sarah was, when you're in a place of, of privilege and performance, it should not make you into a punishing person. The higher you move up, the less punishing and severe and the less harsh you should be as a person. Sarah is the true wife of Abraham. That's established. That, that's by God's establishment. Sarah's son, he is the true son of promise. And in that place of blessing and privilege, Sarah should have pity and regard for Hagar. Now, the question is, have you been cast out? Have you, has someone canceled you? Are you the rejected person in your family, in your community? This is what you need to hear, believer. Somebody's great sin against you, it cannot stop the goodness of God for you. Someone's great sin against you cannot stop God's good for you. And in this text, you see that God keeps his promise both to the heir, to the favored son, and God keeps his promise. You can see this. God keeps his promise also to the slave son, to both of them. The text clearly is highlighting and even majoring on the rejection and the abuse of Hagar 
and the rejection and the abuse of Ishmael. And the text clearly shows that God pities them, God hears them, and God establishes blessing for the son of the slave, for Ishmael. Verse 13, God says, I will also make a nation of the son of the slave woman. Now, later, Hagar is in the wilderness, the desert wilderness, and she's only got a bottle of water and her son, and they are dying of thirst. It seems like somehow maybe the plan was for her to head down south, and she knows that it's walkable, and this will be enough, and there'll be a well, and, and she should be able to make the journey, but they've lost their way. They, they don't have a GPS, and they don't know where's the waypoint, where's the well, where's the place where we could refill, and now it's in the desert wilderness, and her boy's dying, and the text focuses on the, the pathos of her situation. Verse 16, Hagar weeps in the desert. She, she cries out alone as her son is dying. Let me not see the death of my boy. And so she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. But we know this about the Bible. It's repeated so many times. When the weak, when the oppressed, when the outcast call out to God, literally call out to God, he hears the humble. And that's what you see in verse 17. God heard the voice of the rejected lad. God heard the voice of the lad and God said, Hagar. And note here, Sarah won't even utter her name. She will just call her the slave woman, that this slave woman. Hagar, God says, God calls Hagar by her name. Hagar, do not fear for God has heard the voice of the lad. Arise, lift up the lad for I will make him a great nation. The Lord is saying to her, I see you, I hear you, I know what's done to you, don't give up. I will bless you, I will keep a promise to you. I, I don't know for you, I know many of you have been rejected, cast out. I, I don't know how messy your situation is, how messy it's become, how confusing and how tangled things have become with your past, with your relatives, with your exes, but for Isaac and for Ishmael, God is so wise. The wisdom of God can both preserve the inheritance of the son of promise, and God is so wise and good that he can preserve the blessing for the son of the slave. And so Ishmael lives. She looks up and she, she sees a well in the desert, water. And, and Ishmael lives and he grows up. He doesn't die under the bush. He grows up to be a great hunter, to be a husband, and to be the father of a nation. And so this is, this is what you can take from this believer. Has somebody wronged you? Is somebody wronging you even now? Has someone rejected you or is someone rejecting you and you've been cast out from their gatherings even now? God kept his promise to the rejected son. And so that means someone's great sin against you can't stop God's good from getting through to you. And so take comfort. Take hope in that. Martin Luther, in, in his famous hymn, paraphrased it this way. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom 
is forever. Now, let's, let's move to our last question. Moving from, has someone wronged you? Has someone rejected you? Someone cast you out? To, have you wronged someone? And, and here we're, we're moving to our own failures. What happens when, when we're the one who has blown it? When, when there, people wrong us. People sin against us. But, but what about when I sin? What about when we are the ones who sin? You know, in this, in this incident, everyone's got a share of the blame. Hagar has a share of the blame. Earlier, she's the one who provoked Sarah, despised Hagar, was haughty. And, and Ishmael, in this account, at some level, dishonored his brother, the heir. He dishonored Isaac. And, and Sarah shares blame as well. Sarah architected this whole slave son situation. It's on her. And Sarah also then treats the slave woman with harshness and cruelty. But here's what the word shows us. Even your great sin, even your big mistake can't ruin God's plan for you. God redeems sin. God redeems rejection. See how God redeems Hagar's sin. Hagar had acted in pride. Hagar had acted in in hubris. And now she finds she has nothing, nothing to boast about. And she's got nothing. The door for her, the way back home is shut. She is never going back. She never will go back to that house. But God redeems her rejection. God gives this now husbandless woman her freedom. He's released her. She's no longer bound to Abraham. She's no longer a slave. God sees the husbandless Hagar and gives Hagar a new family and gives Hagar grandsons and gives her a place of living of her own. And and you can see also not only how God redeems the sin against Hagar and Hagar's sins, you see also how God redeems Sarah's sins. Sarah, who in resentment and in fear treated Hagar harshly and cast her out. At at one level, Sarah was was saying, I'm just trying to protect my son's inheritance. That's all I'm trying to do. But it wasn't necessary. If God could have protected the the inheritance and Sarah from the king, Abimelech, he's not going to have any problem protecting the heir and the inheritance from the son of the slave woman. He said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And, And so what Sarah does in her sin, as, as God is, is working this out with Abraham, who's thinking, this is too much. This is, this is over the line. We can't respond this way. We can't cast her out. God, in essence, is saying to Abraham, yeah, this is too much. This is too much, but I can work with this. That's what the Lord says. Sometimes we do these things. We make these decisions that are just, they're just self-sabotage. We speak in haste. We speak in anger, and we can't take it back. And the consequences are terrible. And we make this one foolish, foolish decision, and we ruin everything by it. The terrible, the terrible harsh word that you say to your son or your daughter, they will never forget it. They may be able to forgive it. They will never forget it. And maybe, maybe because of your sin, you've gotten yourself put out. You've been put out of the family. You've been put out of the community. And you wear the scarlet letter forever. But if you're a Christian, you need to know this. Your great sin, whatever it was, cannot stop God from working good. God can 
redeem your sin. Our, 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 our pastor Bill Harrell would always say so well, he would say, God sinlessly uses sin. Do you wonder, do you wonder if you took the wrong job? And that's, that's why you're in such a mess. Do you wonder if you married the wrong person? And that's why you're in such a mess. We don't know exactly what it was that, that teenage Ishmael did that got him and got his mother thrown out forever. Maybe it was teasing. Maybe it was persecuting. The word, when it's translated in Greek, is dioko. We don't know what, what he did. What, what the, what he did as, as he, as he did Dioko. But whatever it was, it ruined his life. And he likely regretted it later. But in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us a very similar example of himself. In Galatians, Paul uses that same word to describe what he himself, the Apostle, did before he was a Christian. He says, before I became a Christian, I sinned terribly. So terribly, you would think God could never Make something out of that. He says, I persecuted Dioko, the church, and I even persecuted, Paul says, Jesus. Jesus said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you, Dioko, persecute me? And yet even those great sins that Paul committed, they could not ruin God's plan to give grace to Paul, to give grace to the rejected and the outcast Gentiles, and to give grace to the whole world through the gospel and this servant Paul. God redeemed Paul's sins. And even more clearly than that, this is the great proof that your great sins, your big mistakes, can't stop God from working good. Ishmael was the son of Abraham who was cast out to make way for the heir, the real heir. And in the gospel, Jesus is the great son of Abraham who is persecuted and cast out so that we who were slaves to sin could become sons of God. By, by our own pride, by our own sin, we got ourselves cast out from the presence of God. But in the gospel, Jesus is the one who is cast out in our place, crucified outside the city so that we could be brought into the household. And Jesus is the, is the elder brother who will never persecute you in order to protect the inheritance. Jesus is the elder brother who gives you the inheritance. Your sins cannot disqualify you from grace. And, and your own good efforts, all your good efforts and obedience, they can't qualify you for grace. So that's where we are, if you are a believer. Maybe today you're having to live with some of the consequences, not punishment, but some of the consequences for your sins. And, and maybe your sin resulted in ruin. Maybe your sin resulted in you being rejected. And you hear, you're hearing me say that God can reverse your rejection. And you ask, well, how? How's he going to do that? When? When's he going to do that? Do you have to know? Do you have to know how? Do you have to know when? What ails you? Fear not. God has heard your voice, Hagar. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as the outcasts 
as the people whose own sins have gotten us cast out, as people who are waiting on you. And Lord, we also come as people who are hoping in the Son of Promise, Jesus Christ, who has made us to have this new identity, not as slaves, but as heirs, full heirs. And so, Lord, we will wait with hope and confidence, knowing that our sin, it only serves to qualify us to receive your grace and your goodness. And so, Lord, we pray that while we, were, while we are still in the land of the living, that we would see your goodness, show, show the water from the well. We wait upon you. We hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.